welcome to The Lux Files, a podcast for occultists about occultists. I'm your host, Sean, and I hope you enjoy this episode. Be sure to subscribe to The Lux Files wherever you get your podcasts to stay up to date on all the new episodes. Hello, everyone. Welcome to episode two of season two of The Lux Files. Uh, Of course, you know who I am. Um, With me today, I have Heather Green. She is the author of Lights, Camera, Witchcraft, a critical history of witches in American film and television. So hello, Heather. How are you? I'm doing great. How are you doing? I am wonderful. Thank you so much for agreeing to come on the podcast. I'm really excited about this. Me too. It's a great time to be talking about this with Halloween just finishing up. There's no reason not to keep watching witch films. So um, I'm very grateful that that you invited me on. Exactly. Exactly. I agree with that 100%. If you looked at my uh, Netflix account and all of the recommendations, um, you would see that it's pretty much 365 days out of the year. It's not just spooky season for me. So there you go. (laughs) Me too. I agree. (laughs) Yeah. Every day is spooky season. So yeah. So your book, we're going to get your book in a minute, but I just want to say how exciting uh, the topic of your book is um, because I love, I love seeing witchcraft and magic in the occult in uh, television movies um, you know, and in, in any sort of, sort of, I don't know if format's the right word, but, you know, good witches, bad witches, um, coming up with the worst, uh, representations from, you know, like, like the satanic panic sort of, you know, all the worst that you can, you can think of. I love it all. I love it all. So, um, I'm really excited to talk about this, but let's introduce you to the listeners first and, uh, hear a little bit about yourself. I don't know where you Um, want to begin. Like normally when I have, um, guests on and we're just like, the topic is just about the guest. Uh, we start like, you know, from very young, like the first, like, say, like magical experience on, but, you know, start where you want to start. Um, well, I'll just, uh, there's two threads here, which I always talk about is, and, and people always ask me, um, is I got started, um, my interest in film started sort of not as a, a, a thing to study, but more as something to watch. You know, I, I enjoyed watching, I was exposed to old films very young um, through grandparents, parents. Um, I have many fond memories of watching old sci-fi films, the black and white ones from the fifties with my dad. My grandparents used to talk about old stars. They, were, they lived in LA and we used to go out there. So I had sort of a fascination with it along with a theater background. So I just love the magic um, so to speak, um, of Hollywood, you know, mm-hmm. and began studying it in, in college. Um, and so um, after that, uh, alongside that, I should say, is um, I also began um, finding that I was interested in various occult topics. I remember, um, you know, studying tarot and astrology. I think I started with astrology and then got into some tarot. I grew up out in the um, metro New York City area and spent a lot of time in the village. Um, and there's all the um, fabulous um, stores there. And we used to go into the crystal stores. And, you know, so I sort of wound up um, sort of in both 
paths alongside each other, you know? And then um, when I was in grad school, um, I, in, I noticed a correlation, like all of a sudden there were a lot of witch films. And I was already very interested in, in um, the intersection of politics and history. Um, I'm sorry, not history so much, uh, cultural, society, uh, politics, et cetera, and how those are reflected in film. Uh -huh. um, I became acutely fascinated with that. And I was doing a lot of work in that area during grad school and um, saw this in witch films at the time. So I thought at the time, well, I'm going to do this. Maybe this will be my dissertation when I go on to get my PhD. Well, I didn't go on to get my PhD. So things sort of got put on hold. And then, um, then in around 2013, something like that, I noticed the same trend again. And I said, wait a minute, I got it. This time I'm doing it. And, and I, I did it as an independent researcher, um, you know, applying everything I know um, from, from my previous work uh, to this, um, looking, at, um, looking at these films within a cultural context, within historical context, politics, um, uh, um, gender dynamics, you name it. It's, mm -hmm. It all goes, religion, it all kind of, threads through the story of how the witch starts in Hollywood and, and came up. And, and the neat part about that, getting back to the, getting back to the, um, my double life, so to speak, <laughs> that I talked about earlier, is that as someone who has also um, been in the um, witchcraft community um, and doing work for the witchcraft community um, uh, and been in and around media and the witchcraft community, I was also able to apply that knowledge to the study, which is something unique that not everybody who does that study can do, you know, I could look at a film and go, oh yeah, yeah, that's a real Wiccan element of magic. That's not real, you know, that kind of thing. So I was able to apply that knowledge as well. And so it really gave a certain depth to the book. And so that's where I am right now. So that's, that's how the book developed anyway. Right, right, right. Now you, what would your PhD have been in had you pursued it? Oh, it would it would have been film history or film studies. That's what my master's and okay. bachelor's are both okay. in. So I have I have degrees in film studies and um, film history. So that's that's what I was going to go on to do. And I just you know life happens and you get sidetracked and other right, things go right. on. So yeah, so that's what I did. I wound up I wound up getting into uh, freelance writing, which is where I am right now. I'm a freelance journalist. Um, I've I've had uh, done PR work for the pagan community. Um, I'm the former. Um, I'm the former uh, managing editor of The Wild Hunt, um, okay. which I was with for six years. Um, I've done writing for Circle Sanctuary, Lady Liberty League, um, you know, you name it. Right. <laughs> I've been in and around the community for over for almost 30 years now. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, so it's been a member of Coven of the Goddess, um, you know, so I really have had, you know, these two paths have come together in this book. It's really nice. Yeah. Makes it more yeah. fun, you know? Yeah, for sure, for sure. So with you having always had an interest in in film and television from an early age, and you you would say you're passionate about that. Mm -hmm. do, do you find there's a does it inform your your magical practice at all? Influence it at all? Because I, I find that when I'm I'm talking to people their non-magical um passions i mean it could be like you know uh role playing like tabletop games um it is something that they're really really truly passionate about 
kind of sort of has its fingers in their magical practice in some regards. Oh, I would absolutely agree with that. How could you not? If you're if your spirit is um, passionate and um, dedicated to something non-magical, that's why wouldn't that not come out in mm -hmm. your in your work? And I've written about this before, but I'm a bad I'm a big fan of um, pop culture magic. I have no you know, I've heard of people and I personally haven't done it who use like Marvel characters as their god and goddess figures or, you know, using rock music and their rituals. And I'm, I'm like all for it. If you're, if you're a big fan of that kind of stuff, you, you go for it. So I think in that way, absolutely. Mm -hmm. um, uh, having a uh, theater background, I've always joked about doing a, um, a musical ritual um, based on Broadway. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't ever done it, but, um, you know, usually people run in the other direction when I suggest it. So, <laughs> but yeah, I, th I think there is, um, there's a sort of theatrics um, that, that is part of me that would come out if I was doing any for form of, of ritual work or, or, um, or uh, spell work, et cetera, um, definitely um, that comes through. It's it's just a part of who I am. And, th and that would be, uh, you know, and, and I can, I also bring, I also bring to any kind of magical work um, a certain amount of um, information. I always joke about being Cliff Clavin of my family. Um, so that's a, that's a pop culture reference right there. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and so I think there's also a certain amount of experience and knowledge just as a journalist as a pagan journalist that I bring to the table when it comes to my my work otherwise right 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 I mean ritual is theater uh of course but you know it I think the the more theatrical you are naturally the more theatrical you know ritual can be um especially you know like group ritual and and whatnot I see I love you know um uh pomp and ceremony in in ritual mm -hmm. Uh, I mean, I do a lot of like spontaneous sort of impromptu stuff, but I'd like, you know, I, I, I just, it's my preference, you know, to, like the pomp and ceremony of full ritual. So having a group, um, group ritual, when I'm writing for a group ritual, um, they can, they can be pretty, uh, you know, you, you turn more into a stage director um, and then, you know, you apologize to your group, <laughs> uh, for all of the movements and actions that they have to do and, uh, you know, have to keep an eye on everyone and be like, oh, no, you got to do this now. Remember? Uh, oh, I totally get that. I, yeah, I completely yeah. understand that. <laughs> yeah. It's fun, though. It's fun. Yeah, it, it's, it's a lot of fun. I think but the I other mean, piece of that you know, I, I'm just going to add, and, and the other piece of that is, um, for me anyway, is I have a fun, I love singing and, I, and music. And so I think for me a lot, I used to say that, you know, I can't do a spell without any kind of music. And so right. music usually comes, even if it's not like I, I said Broadway music a little bit ago, but it doesn't have to be that, um, you know, the chanting and that, and that's another piece, you know, this is all stems from the same thing. Like you said, the theatrics, if you're, if that's part of your soul, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, it's going to come out in your magic and your ritual, like you just expressed. So I totally see that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, see, I'm a member of the Order of Bards, Ovates, and Druids. And when I lived in Southern Ontario, um, I was part of a, a Druid Grove down there. And uh, one of the 
ladies uh, that was a member of the Grove, uh, she was part of a sacred circle dancing group. So she had all of this great music with these great dances. I can't, I mean, I, I remember the grapevine. Uh, that's pretty much it. <laughs> Because a lot of these dances were really elaborate and we're all spread out over Southern Ontario. So it's not like we have, you know, we can get together once a week to rehearse leading up to a ritual. So we kind of were kind of like learning it like an hour before. So I don't remember any of them. And then um, uh, one of uh, the guys in, in, in the Grove uh, played a couple of different instruments and the C Ottawa Sea Group, there was an opera singer. So we always had, you know, music and, and dance and, and whatnot. But, you know, with Obod, um, creative pursuits, whether it's music, dancing, painting, whatever, um, mm -hmm. plays very heavily into our traditions. So, yeah, throw that all in um, into ritual, you know, the, the drama, the, the dancing, the movement, it's just, it's incredible. It's incredible. And it keeps you coming back for more because it's, it's not, you're not standing around just listening to people with a monologue, mm -hmm. you know, it's always interesting and different and, you know. Yep. And it, and it raises energy. It yeah, raises well, really, yeah, really good energy. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, we're all, like I said, we're all spread out over Southern Ontario. So we're all having to drive like hours to get to where we're, you know, going to. So, I mean, you know, you definitely want to dangle that, you know, <laughs> come on, it's worth Let's it. It's worth it. <laughs> we're going to dance. We're going to sing. Let's go. Yeah. <laughs> I'd be there in a heartbeat. Yeah. To <laughs> Too to far for you. Yeah. We're going to listen to an opera singer sing and, and I mean we're out in the middle of the country so like the sky is just incredible at night and yeah and uh we're gonna listen to an opera singer sing under the stars you know with the Milky Way as her backdrop like you you don't say no to that no, you know? like, no. oh you know what I'm busy I have to grocery shop and you know it's just <laughs> much effort to, to to leave town for the weekend to to attend the ritual like no I'm going. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty fun. It's pretty fun. Okay. So we know sort of like your, your motivations and passions for writing the book, but what made you, before we get into the actual book, what made you decide like, Oh, this needs to be a book. Like people need to read what I have to say about this subject. Cause I'm always well, because fascinated when I talk to authors, like what, what was going through, your head was like oh I have something I think is important enough to say that other people need to hear I'm always fascinated by that well I think first of all this study has never been done and you know having had done this type of study before in graduate school I knew the type of stuff that was going to come out of it I kind of had this sense but I also had some questions I'm like and and you know these are questions that would come up every year in October in the in the whether it was in mainstream media, talking to witches and talking about which films, or if it was within the pagan community talking about which films, you know, what are your favorite films and why? Um, why did, why do certain films like you were talking about earlier, why do satanic panic witches, which are so poorly, poor representation, poorly, poor representations of modern witches, why do we still love them? Hmm. Um, why do we think witches have green faces? Where did that come from? Um, 
did are some of the things that we do in the modern witchcraft community only um, reflections of these representations that are fictional so i had a lot of questions and i said you know what i i watched these discussions go round and round without anyone actually doing a study like this and i knew i was you know qualified to do it and i had already done it um focusing on disney and Disney princesses and looking at how they evolve and why and looking at them in context, I said, you know what, this is what I need to do. I need to, I need to do this because there is something here, especially since I was now looking at a second wave of popularity of witch films. Why? Why are we having a second wave in 2013, 14, 15? Um, and so that's what, so I went into it with the, um, you know, knowing how to, how to do the study properly um and the mountain of work it would take i should say the mountain of movies i had to watch right or rewatch. That must um, oh that was oh it was <laughs> tough twist my arm right and um and then so the structure the structure of how i was going to do the study was there and how i was going to present it it was just a matter of then digging and getting the historical material and what what was going to come out of that and i was really excited about that because a lot of times we talk around pop culture representations, whether it's witches or something else, it doesn't matter. We, we talk around these things and we never look at them within context, within the context of their creation. And we also never talk about the details behind the scenes of how it happened, of how, why did witch, ha witch have green skin? We'll talk around over and over about it. People will speculate, people will um, re, um, readapt and use it but nobody knows what actually happened and that's the kind of stuff i love mm -hmm. as a historian as a journalist um and as just i love trivia you know i'll just as a triple gemini i'm like i gotta know why 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 i'm like the two-year-old part of me never went away i'm like but why yeah but why <laughs> you know so i think that's so that's why i said there's a book here i knew there was a book here okay. um and so that's that's sort of my mental process awesome what is the earliest uh, representation of witchcraft that you found in um, film or, well, it would be film before television? Uh, the earliest one, and, and I'm going to, I'm going to pull my book out to remember the exact date. Um, it's, it's difficult to know if this is accurate because many silent films um, were destroyed or, right. or have been destroyed, not on purpose, but they just deteriorate. Yeah. So I'm, I'm opening up my first chapter to find the exact date of the first one that I could find in, you know, in the recording uh, listed. Um, now, let's see, uh, 1898 called The Cavalier's Dream. Okay. And uh, those first three, those early ones were um, more these quick little three or four minute reels and um, a witch would appear and disappear. And right. it was more just kind of a showcase of the uh, style. Um, really the first narrative film, meaning something we would recognize as a story was I believe 1908 and that was called The Witch. And it was, a, it was an adaptation of, um, um, now my mind is, is losing, uh, Ivanhoe, adaptation okay. of Ivanhoe. But you okay. know, we're talking about like again, we're talking about five and ten minute reels here. We're not talking about full length films the way we know them. So mm -hmm. witchcraft was very much being represented in in its limited form during that period of time. Right, 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 right. Okay, that's interesting. <laughs> just just seeing there's there's my dogs. Hello, <laughs> thanks guys. Um, yeah, th that's that's interesting because it's almost like 
oh, look what we can do. We can create, you know, moving pictures on, you know, celluloid. How great. And boom, right away. It's like, well, we need witches. Well, it was, well, you know, you, you think about it and, and you can see this throughout my book is what happens is when, when the industry decides to introduce a new form of technology, what they want to do is attract viewers to that new technology, make them want to see it, make them want to use it because you won't necessarily, I mean, look at the internet today. People, people need to be drawn to be using, to use new technology mm -hmm. if it's there because they're either afraid of it or they don't know what it does. And especially with film, 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 you had to go out of the house to see, you had to go to peep shows originally, the peep houses, or you had to go to the theater. And then when tele television did the same thing and to encourage people to buy the sets and bring them in the home to make them. And then you see it again with, um, with the internet and, and various other technologies, whenever they're introduced, they go back to adapting well-known stories. Because if you see, if you go and say, well, my favorite story is being retold on that new form of technology, um, I wanna go see it. And so you naturally will be more inclined to engage with that technology, um, that storytelling device. So you see it in animation. The first animations are just quick, quick retellings of fairy tales. Mm -hmm. um, or, you know, and then you have the same with film in the early days, the same with television. And that's one of the reasons witchcraft sort of shows up in these times because you have um, witches in fairy tales. Other stories that people love are adaptations of um, uh, popular novels or literature. So you have Macbeth, you yeah. have um, uh, Hawthorne's works, and of course, Salem. That's another well-known popular story that people love to tell, even though it's not a fictional story. It's something that Americans love to retell and re-explore in so many ways. So you would see witch trial films, especially in the early, not so much in um, television, well, a little bit in television, you have Joan of Arc, but you have these retellings of history, the retellings of fairy tales, the retellings of literature. Whenever um, a new technology is introduced and you can see that, and that's when witches, that's when we start to see the types of witches that we start to see. Right, right. Um, but is there also like, a, a sort of uh, titillation, um, you know, we we all love being scared. Is do you think there's there's that? Because I think like you know, photography was invented, and five minutes later, there's pornographic photos. Uh, film is invented, and five minutes later, there's pornographic films. Like there's always that level of like titillation or or um uh that scare factor because like so like we love to be titillated we love to be scared so oh look at we invented film let's let's put a scary witch on there or you know you know what i mean yeah and i think maybe there's a little bit of that in the early days mm -hmm. um However, the, the relationship we have with witchcraft at that point was very different than it is now. Um, you, what you're talking about was very prevalent, way more prevalent than in the 1970s. And there's a reason for that. Up until the 1968, um, there were very few witches in anything horror. So we're talking about titillation in terms of fear. Um, it really was not... Um, that really wasn't a factor. It was a okay. very minor factor. And um, when Hollywood started, witchcraft was in the, in the mind of mainstream American audiences expressed through entertainment, witchcraft was fantasy. 
Mm-hmm. It was either, well, it was either fantasy or it was something people who were superstitious believed in. Um, it wasn't something real. It wasn't something scary. And it was, it was different than the occult. The occult, um, spiritualism, uh, and um, Ouija boards and all that stuff that was going on at the time was not equated with witchcraft. Witchcraft was fairy tale fantasy, nothing like that. Um, so you had a little bit in the silent era stuff that had to do with the occult that did what you're saying. Mm-hmm. You had um, the only one that sort of had a, a, a crossover with witchcraft was called the Mysteries of Myra, which was a serial that did play into what you're talking about. It definitely was. And there were definitely shows that um, in the silent era that that capitalized on that. In fact, because of what you're talking about, and it didn't that did this doesn't relate to witchcraft at all, but because of the um what was deemed um sensationalistic um titillating uh was eventually deemed a problem um and there was lots of outrage and so in 1930 the industry created a code a production code which pretty much created a censorship censorship system right so from 1934 to, to 1968 hollywood is was extremely um censored self-centered self-censored they didn't want the government to come in so they did themselves Mm -hmm. very very locked down very very conservatively locked down on what could be expressed and what couldn't be expressed and that's one of the reasons witches stayed out of horror okay Okay. all those years and so that's why witches continue to remain more or less uh, a function of the narrative a function of fantasy narratives a function of salem narratives um they really didn't they didn't hit their scary stride until 1968 when Rosemary's baby came <laughs> and, and hit the screens, you know? And, um, and so it, it's, a, it was yes to what you said. Yes, there is, a, there absolutely is that factor you're talking about. Absolutely correct. Witches really didn't play into it fully until 1970s when I like to say all hell broke loose <laughs> for <Right>. witches. <laughs> I just assumed, you know, I didn't realize that and thinking about it now, it's like, okay, well, witches, you know, you had Bewitched mm-hmm. and then the the Disney witches and it's like, oh, right, there, there was no horror witches. That's right. That's interesting. Yeah. There are few. There are, now you could say the Wicked Witch of the West is, West is a horror witch and she absolutely is. Mm-hmm. Um, she was terrifying. Um yeah. And she still is. Um, so she she kind of had, you had little tastes of it, but they were always couched in some kind of um, fantasy, let's yeah. say, or something else. It, they were never full on what we would see today or even yeah. in the 70s. Yeah. Um, well, you also had- You know, Oz is the fantasy land and Oz wasn't a horror movie. So it, it makes sense that, you know, you mm-hmm. can throw her in there. She's scary, but it's not, you know, it's not like right. a narrative. Yeah. No, and there and there are a few. Um, there there are a few. There's a couple that were de- that were called horror in the 1940s, but they're not really. They're more mm-hmm. mysteries, if you want to say something. Mm-hmm. Um, they're not really horror. Um, and uh, then there's um a couple in the 1960s after the Twilight Zone with the TV coming in with these sort of more um horrific depictions of witchcraft. 
Twilight does it first on television, which is interesting. So they start pushing the envelope there. And then you have a few, you have um, two by uh, Roger Corman, one in the late 50s and one in the 60s. Roger Corman, of course, is, is, uh, was a B filmmaker. So he wasn't mainstream. Um, was able to push the element a little bit um, and you get the sexy uh, scary vamp witch um, in 1957 in the undead and then you get another one called the house of death which okay. is 1965 i believe which is ceremonial magician satanism stuff but again it's not super mainstream but again you're getting closer but right. that's 1965 that's as the code started to break down and really you don't get the true full-on uh joy of the horror witch and horror witchcraft and all of its glory until 1968 and then it's and then like i said all hell breaks loose and then you got tons of it do you think with that timing as well is there any intersection with the feminist movement oh absolutely there's an intersection with the feminist movement with new religions, with goddess worship, with um, the cult, other, all the other cultural revolutions happening, it, it absolutely coincides because the, the, the film industry couldn't keep up this antiquated code that was um, created in 1930, in 1930 mm -hmm. is when it was created, wasn't enforced until 1934. So they're looking at what, 30 plus years, a code that was written in a different time uh, they couldn't enforce it and they were losing audiences. Television was losing audiences with its code. Uh, Hollywood couldn't find its audience anymore. Uh, um, their, their clientele, so to speak, were becoming, were younger. They were progressive. They were pushing boundaries. Um, they didn't want this anymore. Right. They didn't want the leave it to beaver um, movies, uh, movie aesthetic, so to speak. And so um, they, Hollywood had to do something. Right. So it, of course, um, not only did it start reflecting all of these movements, not just the feminist movement, but the um, all of the all of the cultural um, revolutions that were going on, all of those pieces, the progressive movements, it, it started to reflect those, and it that's why the code broke because it was times were changing. Yeah, you know? and, uh, and just um, for context, like this code wasn't just about like. Um, uh, horror aesthetics like this is the code that you couldn't show a toilet uh you couldn't show a man and woman in bed that's why you know a married couple had um twin beds on television you couldn't show a pregnant woman you couldn't say she was pregnant like it's this wasn't like a horror um no. code about what what horror aesthetics can or cannot be shown like this was everything how much skin and you know exactly of, how much sexuality etc cetera, etc cetera. exactly it was everything from banning um interracial kisses to how much um what types of costumes women were allowed to wear and one of the things uh you know it had a it had a very strong um uh control of a woman's the the display of a woman's sexuality yeah. and so that was part of the reason witches were how witches were affected it did not regulate witchcraft specifically yeah. there was no rules against witchcraft however there was two things that kept that did affect horror if we're talking horror is one displays of sexuality you know women couldn't be the vamp witch okay so there was control over that so you weren't going to get the 1970s witches who are half naked you're yeah. just not going to get that the other piece that's important to know is that the code um restricted um, the displays of um, evil. So evil could not be sexy. Evil yeah. could not be 
um, attractive. Um, and evil could not win, okay? So that's why Hollywood films from the beginning always were tied up in a bow with the hero winning because the evil could not. So you couldn't wind up with a Hollywood vamp witch. Yeah. Sexy, alluring, um, attractive, but evil. You could not do that under the code. This was not going to be possible. Um, and the other thing is displays of religiosity and displays of, of religious figures. They, they could not have, there could not be negative displays of them. So you couldn't wind up with a movie like um, where... Um, I'm, I'm, I'm blanking on the name of the movie from the 80s where the um, bishop was the uh, bad guy. He right. was the one who was uh, abusing the women uh, who he was accusing of witchcraft. You couldn't do a horror movie like that. You couldn't, you could not have these type of movies that showed negativity towards mostly Christianity because we know that when you have a horror movie, it's usually some form of... Um, some something that's reflective of Catholicism and the um, you know these kind of uh, texts. So, so you could not do that. You could not reflect on religion poorly. You couldn't have certain types of dress with women. You couldn't dance in certain ways, and you also couldn't show evil as a um, uh, sexy or um, positive thing. Um, right. Something that might be attractive and something that the audience might want to go to. All of those were written into the code. So that, of course, reflected the witchcraft. But of course, the code had a lot of other rules, too. And you can actually go online and look at it. I mean, yeah, it's, yeah. it's amazing. People don't realize how censored the system is. We look back at the 1950s and 1940s and look at these movies, and that's the way the world was. Yeah, no, it wasn't. It, right. That's just watching yeah. your <laughs> you're actually watching a censored uh, replication of our society at the time. <laughs> you I, know, I I can't remember. <clears throat> well, I know that the code did affect fashion because as women had to cover up more, um, an alternative to showing skin is to show shapes and curves and movements, and dresses were starting to be cut in bias. Mm -hmm. um the fabric you know mm -hmm. at, at yeah. a diagonal as opposed to um vertical uh, so they drape you know they curve around the breast the hip and you know they're really showing the movement of of the woman as she's walking or or whatever so i mean this affected fashion you know mm -hmm. and i can't remember if did it not affect women's abilities to wear pants in movies and television as well Something um I, I don't know I don't believe so I'd have to okay. go look back and see what the regulations are they did change over a while but if you if I think back to movies from the 30s and 40s there were often women wearing pants in the in those okay. especially um stronger women who had careers yeah and there's there's some really interesting books um written by an old a professor of mine uh Janine Basinger where she actually talks about the power of um, the diva women or the power of the strong, the strong female characters in 30s and 40s films where yes, they always wanna get married and be in love and they're never the boss and various things like that. But they're, they talk about how, how, they, how women still found their strength with them. Right. And so there's these subtle things where you have them bickering back and forth, they're wearing hats. And I believe, I'm pretty sure there was a lot of pant wearing in the forties okay. and, and thirties yeah. for women. So I don't, I don't think there was a, 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 I don't think that was an issue as long yeah. as it didn't suggest um, overt sexuality. Um, you know, there's, there's certain, those, those, it was more, um, it was more concerned with that. Yeah, the code was written by a um, a Catholic journalist 
and a um, Jesuit priest. Mm -hmm. So they were very much guided by their own religious um, ethics and, and morals and what they found. And, and, and it was, um, it was because Hollywood wanted to get tickets. I mean, they wanted, they wanted to be able to sell and they were losing out because the, because the silent, silent uh, Hollywood was, you know, they were having, there was murders and there was all this craziness on the screen. And, you know, by today's, by today's um, uh, mindset, today's modern people would look at those silent films and go, what? <laughs> but by that mindset, it was like scandalous. Oh, so, yeah. I mean, before the code, there was some, I mean, not race by so. our standards, but you look at movies from um, the late 20s, the early 30s before the code was in place. And you're you're a little shocked because you're so used to okay. that that fake representation of society because of the code. So you're watching the stuff. You're like, that... <laughs> Wait, they did that. <laughs> this movie was filmed in 1928. Like, how how did they get it? Well, it was pre-code, right? Um, but you, we're just so conditioned to that that coded um, mm -hmm. world of, of Hollywood that you forget that it wasn't there from the absolute beginning. And it's just some of the stuff you see is 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 shocking. Um, not for our time, but knowing like this is 1928. And it's like right or 26 or, or 1930, yeah. whatever. And it's like, oh, wow, <laughs> wow. Uh, I, I, I see how, you know, movies were a, were a hit and it wasn't a passing fad because if you had, I don't know if you had Leave it to Beaver as your first representation on film, may have just been, ended up being a fad. You know what I mean? <laughs> well, um, you know, the very first, um, the very first, um actress famous actress to do an all nude scene in a film is Annette um Kellerman and she was an Australian actress and swimmer who did uh, a nude scene in two films are in my book because they actually contain witches in them they're fantasy films daughter of the gods and Neptune's daughter of the gods and ne maybe it's Neptune's daughter um anyway they feature her swimming because she was also a swimmer um but she does all nude scenes in them and it was one of, and that's those were 1916 1914 right. yeah, yeah, yeah so you know that never would have cut it after the code yeah but yeah. you know but at the same time the code produced a lot of wonderful films um and there are some that are witch related and um you know, when we find empowerment through those witches in, in indirect ways, subversive ways, they were able to get their messages out, just like you were talking about changing the way the dresses were to enhance a feminine uh, look, they could do that without, um, and there's something to be said for that. There's something to be said for that subtlety as well. Um, oh, absolutely. Yeah. 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 So they created fashion, affected a lot of things and, and witches, you know, witches were, were second, you know, getting back to witches, they were secondary. They were they were functions of the narrative. They really didn't drive it, but they had, but they what were they were reflecting during these periods of time very much was a woman's role in society is mm -hmm. what you're looking at as they change. Yeah. And um and and that was also part of the conservative uh modality of it all. And it's yeah. important to say yeah. the code also the TV adopted its own code based on the film one. So TV had a code as well. Yeah, yeah. Do you think perhaps because, you know, that that code, Hollywood code era, um, do you think that the lighter representations, because again, I'm thinking, you know, Disney witches, um, 
bewitched. You know, they're 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 harmless um, to us, the 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 viewers. You know, because they're not scary. They're they're not going to cause us nightmares, anything like that. Do you think that they kind of contributed in a in a way to a harmless idea of witches? So getting into the sixties and seventies, they seemed less threatening, you know, for people that, you know, mm-hmm. were discovering witchcraft and, and um, nature religions. Cause you know, they, these people didn't grow up with these scary, scary horror representations of, of witches. So do you think in a way the code mm-hmm. actually contributed um, in a roundabout way to a, a positive um, view of the word witch? Um, I would say probably not, because if you remember um, that witches were not considered real, witchcraft was not mm-hmm. considered real, it was either superstition or it was just fantasy. So these, now I would say that like the, the Wicked Queen, for example, or the Wizard of Oz, um, the Wicked Witch. They're scary in and of themselves, but mostly with few exception, um, even though these things are fantasy and not considered real, um, witches were generally the bad guy. Yeah. Uh, witchcraft was generally something that was bad, even though it was an evil and it wasn't lurking in our, in, in our world, which would create that, which would break that barrier and create that level of horror. Okay, that you get later on. Um, these were just fantasy, but they were bad. Okay, yeah. and the cases where you have films where you talk about like a Bewitched is in a different story because Bewitched was television in 1960s, so that's a totally different. We've already reached in a progressive point at that point. But mm-hmm. if you're looking at Bell Book and Candle, or you're looking at I Married a Witch, or um, some of those others, the witchcraft is an allegory for women's power, right. and witchcraft is something that a woman witchcraft is something that needs to be contained in all of these films so while it's fun while while the viewer is having fun watching them watching the woman own her own power um you can enjoy the wicked witch of the west because she's a woman on her own doing her thing with her own power etc in the end the wicked witch is still bad in the end the concept of witchcraft even if it's just fantasy even if it's just um comedy it's still something that's bad and that good people don't do. Okay. Mm-hmm. This is what these films teach over and over. So I don't think the production code, it, it kind of ignored witchcraft as anything could be real. It just kind of, like you said, it could, I don't think that contributed to a positive view of witchcraft whatsoever. Um, however, I think, I think witchcraft, modern witches did that on their own. Um, in the 60s. And I think the progressive movements that were happening in culture in general is what pushed that envelope. Um, and Hollywood, though, didn't follow suit. The, the, rep, the, the a- adaptations of witchcraft as positive really didn't start happening until the late, later 70s into the 80s. And then there's a, a blip during the satanic panic and then into the 90s. And really what pushed, the, put that, pushed that was modern witches. Right. Um, right. And, you know, and, it, and, and getting back to what you said about the feminist movement earlier is that the later 70s, 75 to the early 80s, you see a lot of witchcraft productions that are very reflective of the second wave feminism. 
you don't see it in the beginning 70s because in the beginning of the 70s when the code broke it was like exploitation uh joys all over the board from every right. type of genre. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and i highly recommend people watch some of those early 1970s horror films because they are absolutely hysterical and so much fun to watch but in in the sure. late 70s and 80s you get things like tucker's witch and you get um you get you get a great episode of bj and the bear called bj and the witch which which expresses witchcraft as a function of herbalism and ancient practice and feminism you get um what's the name of that other b film um it'll come to me in a second there's there's a number of films that really have a feminist ethic um mm -hmm. oh you know it's another one that's really good that does that's that's earlier from 1973 is season of the witch it's also called um hungry wives it has this it feels like an exploitation film it has a little bit of that but it has that feminist ethic so you're starting to get some of that right. um but again all of that goodness is coming from the movements not from hollywood yeah and hollywood's yeah. reflecting it so the when the code broke and you had those those earlier movies you know the the witch horror you know that wasn't i mean that wasn't reflective of of the feminist movement but that wasn't a um uh oh god i i just my mind just blanked out uh, a backlash to the feminist movement like you're saying like that was just you, that was just like a celebration of the end of the code and we're just going to go all out and just do crazy stuff <laughs> no that, it was not a backlash you don't okay. see the backlash okay until uh the late 80s and early 90s okay. so that's satanic panic stuff a backlash against women's power and that's and i talk about all this is stuff i talk about all in the book because this is the important things understanding the development of which the witch in film no the, the films of the early 70s are more uh an expression of society so mm -hmm. at the time you had exploitation films around uh around all the genres um and i like to call the ones then a witch exploitation films and what what if you think about it is in the late 1960s and um, early 1970s, the witchcraft movement was becoming more and more vocal and mm -hmm. um, more and more accessible. So Hollywood writers had access to that. And we had also had new books being published. You had Buckland's first books and he actually uh, advised on several films like Necromancy. Right. You had, um, you had Anton LaVey's books coming out and he was active in Hollywood as well um, with the Satanic Bible and all that stuff. You had um, Gardner's books were first being coming published in the US and accessible. So you had not only the feminist movement and all these cross-cultural um, uh, revolutions, so to speak, things were changing. People were also very unsettled at this time. So just generally the population was dealing with, with um, the Vietnam War they were dealing eventually with the Nixon crisis. You're dealing with a number of cultural and social, socio-political crises as well. And society was just seemed like it was breaking apart. Right. And so one of, uh, and so the code goes away now. And now we have a host of new, um, fresh filmmakers who can do what they want. And you get a rash of 1970s. Some of the best filmmaking was done in the 1970s with some of these uh, auteurs that came in. I mean, this is when Spielberg started and Lucas and um, Martin Scorsese and all these fantastic, they were able to actually do what they wanted because the code was gone and right. the rating system was here. So along with that, 
was this opening of the door for creating this exploitation stuff, new audiences. Um, Hi, everyone. Thank you for listening to The Lux Files. I'm not just the host of this podcast. I'm also the owner of Lalo Gonzalez. I make beeswax and scented spell candles, loose stick and liquid incense, anointing rolls and bath salts. So once you're done listening to this episode, why don't you head on over to my website at www.lalokanzawin.com and check out my products. For your convenience, the link to the website is also in the show notes. Hollywood, they, there's a one quote in a book I read. It said Hollywood realized they had actually had a black audience. So you get all these films um, with all black casts and 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 black actors. It's called black exploitation films because right. they were also a lot of them were B, just like some of the other stuff. But there was just those there was just a run in the 70s of everything that could not be done. The first interracial kiss on television, the first interracial kiss on on in the movies, and you just get all of this stuff happening. So it, none of this was backlash. All of this was expressive of the movements themselves, which yeah. came out in all directions and all kinds of colors. And it's absolutely fascinating the history of Hollywood at that juncture um you don't get the backlash until satanic panic when this pendulum swings back to the conservative side right we're right do you see any um uh similarities between that era and um television and movie streaming services right now because i feel Mm -hmm. like a lot of people think um for a variety of different reasons, you know, political pandemic, et cetera, that the world's just falling apart and we're in a huge cultural crisis. Do you see uh, television and movies right now? uh, And can you look back to that early seventies and be like, oh, it's all happening all over again? Um, I wouldn't say it's all happening all over again. Um, I know we talk about the wheel turning, but I believe the wheel rolls. You know, it doesn't ever go back to the same place. So, but yes, um, in terms of witch films, we entered a witch um, popularity cycle at the end, er, at the end of the 1960s, as this was happening, right? And it went through about 10 years. We did the same thing around 2011, 2012. We entered what I call a witch cycle, which is a popularity cycle. Mm. And um, that was just at the time when we started to see, um, at least in the U.S., and then uh, you know, it actually spilled out uh, across the world, a um, progressive movements again, we're pushing, you're talking about things like Black Lives Matter, um, women's march movements, um, you're talking about equality discussions, and um, uh, discussions about gender, just discussions about sexuality, you know, we had the marriage rights stuff. So you see all of this, similarly, breaking down barriers, changing uh redefining things that we um we've had defined in a certain way for so long and just just yes so those so yes this period of time with its crises and with its um cultural movements is very similar right now uh, you know i know people that went through that period of time saying we're right now it's much worse than it was back then (laughs) i like to think it's not and we're going to be okay yeah i mean we are going to be okay because i agree every time someone uh, you know, brings up, you know, the world is a mess right now, da, 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 it's the end of the world. I always think back, I'm like, yeah, but I mean, have you not heard of the 70s? I mean, <laughs> do you want to get, get a little reading done and, and see what was going on then? 
Um, right. We're, we're going to be fine. Um, but, and, you know, and just just to get back to your point is that, um, you know, you had all the same similar movements and similar discussions back then. They're more intensified now. We also have a more intensified backlash happening because at that time we didn't have a, a, a moral panic, but we have a moral panic in conjunction. It's like you're taking the satanic panic of the 80s and mixing the cultural revolution of the 70s and putting them together. Oh, but what's interesting, right. yeah. <laughs> but what but what you but what you're talking about, which is interesting, which I think you would find fascinating, is that both of them during both of these times, which is what your correlation is, we had an upswing in which films and television shows. Mm -hmm. This is this time though, it's mostly streaming and television shows, mostly television shows. And if you look at the content and the narratives of the current ones, they're not the same as what happened in the 70s. It's a very different um conversation being had through those narratives that in the 70s that there are now but the ones that are happening now are all about um looking at our past looking at our folklore looking at our fairy tales looking at the things we knew and reevaluating because maybe we missed something right. so it's like the, the the best line in um what's the, what's the show um uh, give me a second um not once upon a time um into the woods Okay, mm -hmm. musical into the woods. She says um, something like, "I'm the witch," um, and she express. I can't remember how what the exact quote is, but she says something like, "I I, I was wrong. I was right all along." Um, um, there's a, it's a line in a song, and yeah. so that's the concept of what you see now in the television shows. We're we're having the dark. We have dark uh, and fractured fairy tales. You know, think about all of those that happened in the early, early part of the two thousands. We start to see representation. Uh, diversity of representation and what witches look like and what magic is magic isn't just wicca anymore like it was in the 90s or it wasn't just a satanic witchcraft like in the 70s it's all of those things plus it's yeah. plus hoodoo and plus folk magic um witches look all all kinds of ways witches are men and women and and other genders witches are have different sexualities witches are um uh, they come from all parts of the country all parts of the world so you have those breaking of barriers, which is even, even worship uh, Satan. And that's okay if you watch Chilling Adventures of, Satan, right. of yeah. Sabrina, right? Yeah. Um, so you have a totally different, it's a re-evaluation of the meaning of America and the meaning of all the people here. It's a totally different conversation than it was in the 1970s. Right. Yeah. So, but the concept is there and every time we have something going on like this we wind up seeing more witches mm -hmm. yeah 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 so I, I i don't well yeah let's just jump around eras it doesn't matter um i i think we need to talk about the movie the craft because i feel like well not feel i know you know being on social media um how influential it was to a lot of millennial witches. And I, that came out, I was, how old was I at the time? Do I give my real age or? <laughs> I think I was, oh, I was 20 at the time when it came. Wait, when did it come out? 96? Yes. I was 18 okay. and um, I didn't see it right away. So by the time I saw it, I would have been 19 or 20 and I had joined a gardeneering coven. So I kind of poo-pooed the movie a little bit, you know, like turn my nose up a little bit, like that's not witchcraft. Because again, the nineties, you know, 
witchcraft and Wicca were the exact same thing. There was no separate, you know, mm -hmm. uh, you know what the 90s was like. So that's not what we do. That's not witchcraft. Those aren't witches. Um, of course, I feel differently now. Um, age is, you know, age does that to you. <laughs> um, but for a lot of people, a lot of modern practitioners, that movie was a big deal. Very influential. That's true. Why? <laughs> like, why? Why? It, it, in, in your opinion, like, because you, I mean, because you look at movies and television differently than I do. Because mm -hmm. um, I mean, I don't I don't really analyze, you know, the narrative or anything like that. I see, you know. Okay, well, this isn't quite true, but let's dumb it down a bit or oversimplify. I see three bad witches and one good witch who defeats the bad witches, but the good witch isn't everyone's favorite witch. Like everyone who was influenced by that movie, it, it wasn't the, the quote unquote good witch. She's it not the memorable one. No, no people no. remember Nancy. Yeah. Um, well, and that's the same reason why the Wicked Witch of the West is more popular than Glinda. And why, um, and, I, and I talk about this with regard to Frozen, um, that why Elsa was more popular than um, Anna. Anna. Um, it has to do with internal power um, and the rebellious nature of the witch. And I think people are attracted to, especially young girls and women who are looking for, or it's not even that, it's, it's, more, it's more than just these, especially we're talking about the craft, the the Nancy and and the the bad witch or the person or the wicked witch or the whatever Elsa, they they're the ones wielding the power on their own. They're mm -hmm. the ones who are rebelling, um, and that's attractive to people who are looking who are feel oppressed, who feel um, you know constrained in some way. Whether it's whether it's a teenager who's living with their parents and they're tired of it, they're 15 or 16 and they just want to go out on their own because they're, you know, teenager. Yeah. Or if, if it's, you know, someone who's in a marginalized community and, and wants to find power and, and in these characters. And that happens a lot with um, the films throughout the decades um, where, you know, in the early days in those coded errors, women would look to these characters like uh Jillian or um Jennifer in those witch movies and they even if it was just for an hour they could be free of the oppression they can be free of the constraints of their uh societal constraints um so in terms of the craft I think there's a there's a number of reasons of why it was popular first it was released right at the end of the satanic panic and it's sort of what I call a cusp film so it's it's both reflective of the satanic panic because you have that end stuff that goes on with Nancy. Yeah. Um, and it also is reflective of, of this new movement. It's the sometimes called third wave feminism. Um, sometimes it's called anti-feminism. It depends on who you're talking to. But it was this notion that, that women had arrived. Okay. Women had successfully gotten equality and now we could do anything. And that's kind of the, that's kind of this, and it's called the girl power movement is what it's been named. And you see that Sabrina was released at the same time, Sabrina the Teenage Witch, and was highly popular. Um, you, you had Buffy the Vampire Slayer, you had um, Charmed. Um, and so you had a number of these shows come on that were really part of that Friday night um, adolescent uh, lineup 
um, that were telling telling viewers that girls had arrived and girls could be anything. They could be vampire slayers. They could be vampires. They could be witches. They could, but they could have their power and they could, they could just, you know, kick ass, mm-hmm. you know, and you had um, like the Spice Girls were part of that. Yeah. Um, it was that, that notion. And so the craft, the craft, that's the craft was right there at the beginning of that. And I think in a single film, you have this empowered woman, Nancy, who eventually, you know, goes off the deep end, but you also before that show four young girls who didn't fit in. They were marginalized. They were, one had a deformity. Um, the other one was new in the school, which is the one you call the good witch that nobody remembers. Um, the uh, Nancy of course had, um, I believe her parents were divorced and I think she might've been abused or something. What if she had a family thing, mm. uh, Rochelle, was dealing with racial problems in the school. And um, so you had these girls who were, um, who were being, um, you know, bullied, um, left out, they were oddballs. And they, what do they say? We're the, we're the oddballs, we're the, um, we're the weirdos. Um, we're, we're the weirdos. We are the weirdos, mister, because the, the bus driver's like, be careful of the weirdos or something like that. And Nancy turns around with her glasses, she pulls yeah. them up. We are the weirdos, Mister. We are the weirdos, Mister. Yeah. So you had them, and and here are they all have these. Watched the movie once or twice. <laughs> <laughs> That's all good. So have I. So basically, you had you had that came at the perfect moment because it's not a film that's going to win an Academy Award. Yeah. But it came right at a, the perfect moment where you had these four young girls who wanted to, who were looking to find their own power to overcome obstacles in their lives. And um, they were doing it through rebellious and um, alternative means through magic. Um, and the first ritual scene was beautiful. And it yeah. was, you know, it, it was a beautiful, very, and very indicative and reflective of modern witchcraft, Wicca. And yeah. so you had, you had that. So people just love that. You had this whole teenage generation going, I could have my power. I could do magic. And, and that was snowballing. And it was part of that whole movement. So the craft is, was just a point in time and it was perfectly placed. Um, and today, I mean, it's a cult, it's got a cult favorite. Everybody loves to watch it. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, I, one thing I like about the craft, like reflecting back on it and watching it as, as an adult, um, I see it almost like a good representation of what we do no, we're not levitating and and walking on water and and stuff like that. Um, But I think it has a really good balance between what we actually do. Like if you were to walk, stumble upon us in the woods and what's going on in our heads, like the power and the energy that's happening Mm -hmm. um, internally. Um, I may not be able to shoot fire out of my hands, but I feel like I can. And if you if you just showed what we actually did on screen and you didn't, you know, um, Hollywood it up, it would be really boring, let's be honest. Uh, and I find that it's a really good representation of of how you feel. Um, when you're practicing magic. No, I'm not levitating, but I feel like I can, you know, you know what I mean? Um, 
You're absolutely right. Yeah. And I say that in in a lot of presentations I make when people ask, well, are they ever going to make a film that actually shows what we do? I'm like, if they did that, um, people would fall asleep. Yeah. You know, because what we do is not that exciting. Yeah. Um, and that's the case for not just witches. And that's the case for if they made a doctor show exactly the same as the way a doctors actually are, they would have one episode. And, yeah. you know, that would be it because you have to you have to enhance these things up. They don't have this is drama. It's fiction. Yeah. And but I agree with you. I think there's an, and there's a there's something to be said for um, using Hollywood magic to. Um, to not adapt to reflect real magic so mm-hmm. to speak using the those things to show what it feels like yeah. you know like you said and i think that i think that's another reason people get so um attracted to these films because if if they if they touch if, if a movie's narrative and, and if the reflect if what it's showing is um touches you that way if you feel empowered so i think there's definitely validity to that and in fact um I spoke with Adam Simon, who was the co-creator of Salem. And that's one of the things we talked about is that the movie is horror. I mean, the show is horror, obviously. Um, people aren't sticking toads in um, other people's mouths and various things like that. But what he said is that he was trying through 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 um, Hollywood magic, through do it, to literally um, depicting these things that were found in old documents, that were found in old witchcraft documents. Um, in, in, in New England, in, in actually depicting them as literal events, he was able to create the fear that, um, that the people of Salem had of witchcraft. Mm-hmm. And he was able to also um, depict the empowerment of the witches themselves, even though it really, that's not exactly how it happened. We're not looking at realism, you're looking yeah. at horror, but depicting what happened in a literal sense creates uh creates that feeling you're talking about you know and that's something that's one of the things hollywood does it's one of the things you have to do with art i mean art does it absolutely yeah yeah, yeah. i mean look whenever you want to complain about hollywood representation of of witches or magic mm-hmm. i invite you to go into your library and start looking at some of the covers of your books because i have a feeling that witch that's riding on the broomstick on the cover you can't actually do (laughs) but that cover turns you on enough to pick up that book and be like oh what's this let me take a look inside maybe i need to buy this you know what i mean so whenever someone wants to get a little too critical about you know what how hollywood represents witchcraft and, and magic and whatnot you know take a step back and and you know, think, like I said, like, why did you pick up that book of the witch riding on a broom? Because it attracted you. Mm-hmm. And you bought yeah, and that's what And you learned. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what art is supposed to do. Art is not supposed to, you know, just all, all across the board. But, um, and, and there are, you know, with all of that said, there are cases where Hollywood went too far if you consider, um, you know, Hollywood's, uh, its role in society in terms of um, harm to a religion. So that's a, that's a different case. And and there is one film called To Save a Child that was an after not an after school special. Excuse me, a made for TV movie 
um, that, you know, during the satanic panic, when people who practice various occult practices were being harmed, were being fired, were for no reason because of the moral panic, yeah. um, you know, did Hollywood, that's a question, that's the, that's the, the big question. Did, did Hollywood have a responsibility not to produce some of the productions? Not so much Hocus Pocus, although it is a satanic panic film, um, and, you know, but some of the um, representations that felt more real, like To Save a Child, um, that projected witches as being uh, child-eating um, mm sociopathic um monsters and so did did that's the, and that's a question we ask today when it comes to social media when it comes to hollywood do, what are these large media um conglomerates what's responsibility do they have to protecting the population and that's a that's an ongoing question yeah. and that's a question that was asked back in the 30s when they when they did the code and 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 um you know hollywood said we'll we'll police ourselves don't come near us and they did it but um you know as far as witches in that to save a child was one they were going to do a a, a movie a, a, t a sh television show called the craft aptly um that portrayed um which is as a satanic coven um, that horn children. And it was very, very much a realistic uh, portrayal in modern 1980s America. Okay. And okay. Um, Circle Sanctuary led by Selena Fox, um, they, I'm sorry, Selena Fox and Circle Sanctuary led a letter writing campaign to get ABC to pull the, pull the show. And it was successful. And they turned the pilot into a TV movie. Um, I believe it was released in 91. You can still watch it on YouTube. It's called To Save a Child. It so sounds that very familiar. And I mean, I would have been at that age aware enough um, to, to watch it in, in, in a bit of a con. That just sounds really familiar. Mm -hmm. But I'm glad you actually brought that up because that was going to be one of my questions. Like, what are there any sort of modern realistic portrayals of witches but in a really negative light that can be harmful and that's a really really good example yeah. of what I'm talking about and that and that's you know it, it really where where the line crosses is different for everyone I mean let's be honest so you know you have if, if something is Kate is just marked as fantasy, um, you can get around it. Um, mm -hmm. I look deeper into the narrative conversations. So I would say Hocus Pocus could be considered negative because it was in a string of, of fantasy films that portrayed uh, witches as child eaters. Right. Um, which was all part of that moral panic. But, uh, you know, a film like um, Witches of Eastwick, which I adored when I watched it, I read the book, um, that could be seen as negative, specifically not so much witches, but that's negative backlash against women, that film. So I have a love-hate relationship with that movie. So you have a number of films, that, you know, it really, it's really a personal decision on what crosses the line. But the, to, to save a child, when you get to the portrayal of a religion, um, in modern times, um, witchcraft is uh, a religion. Um, Wiccan, Wicca is a religion, Druidry, etc. cetera. Um, when you start to push, go, that for me is where you go over the line. Okay, you wanna do the fantasy stuff. Um, you wanna do the horror stuff. We all know this is, this is all fun and games, mm -hmm. but when you're doing something that's more realistic like that, you know, yeah, you know, you got people who celebrate this, who, who are members of this uh, path. Who may be harmed by this film and so that's where 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 i draw my line um i look at at the real world effects of of some of this stuff and so um you know i say to, that they they did a good thing um 
Circle Sanctuary. And, mm-hmm. and then actually that move, that actual um, campaign launched Lady Liberty League. Um, so it was, uh, that one for me is, is good. But what's, what's more interesting to me is not so much the negative portrayals, um, but the positive, but the positive ones that get close, that get close to reality. Right. And, you know, I've been, I've been thinking about this because I always say, what's the film that's the most like us, you know what? So I always say the, the love, Witch, which um, she does do, she does get awfully close in a lot, in a couple places where you go, yeah, yeah I could see those people. You also have, you know, elements throughout um, Rosemary's baby is a horror film, but you know, some of the people in that film, you go, Oh, I grew up in New York. I'm like, that could have been my neighbor. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. But if we're going to say like modern, like now, not 1968, there's a film called, um, uh, I'm going to have to look it up. There's a film called, hang on a second. Um, yeah. Hang on, just, oh, I got my handy nanny book right here. And I have lists at the back of each chapter. So I can just flip over. It's called, um, say, The Last Keepers. Um and it's a really nice, it's a sort of a teen rom-com type film. So it's okay. it's not anything you're going to, you know, win an Academy Award for, but it's a nice little film in the family or witches. And there's a fantasy element to it, but you go, yeah, I can live like this. This might be actual witches. You know, they, these are people I could know yeah. and are doing things. And, and they have this nature, they are artists. It's a very nice little film. And um, that feels good. Mm-hmm. It's kind of similar to the way the craft before nancy goes crazy um and that ritual and all that stuff it has a similar type of feel good oh yeah this is feel good magic this is feel good witchcraft these are people i could know um and then more recently and i was surprised and i didn't write about this in my book because it didn't come up in my research but it should have unfortunately is there's a show um on netflix called grace and frankie um oh yeah Jane Fonda and Lily Tomlin. Mm-hmm. Lily Tomlin's a witch. Yeah. She is an actual practicing witch. She mentions it. She says, so Moda B. She is someone, she's about as close to a realistic person in the community that you can come up with and a lot of in, in, in representation. And they don't ever make a big deal out of it. She's just, just what she does. You know, she's just got her stuff. And she's, she's a character, but we all know characters. And right. you could totally see her showing up at a, at a ritual or at running a ritual or at a convention or something like that. So she's a very, very close to a um, dynamic and uh, caricature of uh, some parts of uh, the witch community and some, some members. And she's absolutely fantastic. <laughs> That's great, yeah. Um... Lily Tomlin, I mean, she's just fantastic. Anyways, I could see her playing like an old hippie witch. Like that's exactly you know, what yeah. she is. Oh okay. yeah, yeah. There you go. That's exactly yeah. what she is. She's. I mean, you watch the show for. I mean, there's a lot of excellent acting in it, but I love watching her on the show. And yeah. and you know, I didn't even know. I mean, I thought she was just kind of an old, the old hippie thing until she started saying various things, and I'm okay. like, oh, look at her go. She's a witch. Why isn't she in my book? <laughs> well, I guess I, I mean, yeah, obviously that that would have been good to to point out in your book. But I I mean, if she's not doing, you know, rituals and making potions and stuff like that, I, I suppose it's, you know, kind of like a minor. Point. Well, you know. 
I, I don't think so. I think I would have actually talked a lot about her because okay. it's a very unusual case. But the way I did my research, um, I took a lot of different databases and a lot of different resources. I also used blogs. I used a lot of stuff to try to make sure I could find as many of them as possible, to catalog as many of them as possible. And you miss them. And that's just the way it is. Because yeah. if, it, if they don't come up, because it's not going to come up as a witch film. And a lot of witch film lists are for Halloween. It's not going to come up as a Halloween film. Um, and unless it's been cataloged in like the um, the film archives, they have, they have databases, um, TV archives. They sometimes have keywords. But the film, but the show isn't about witchcraft. It's right. not even about her specifically. That's just a part of her character. Like someone has a job. And so it wasn't a keyword. So it never showed up. Um, and, but I find the fact that, um, the fact that she is, and she's doing it and they're not making a big deal out of it. It just, just who she is and just is, is, um, is fascinating and very refreshing in a way, because it's not like, oh, look, that's the witch, you know, and we got to talk about this. Right, it's similar right. to, um, the craft legacy. I don't know if you saw it. Um, uh, no, actually I didn't. Okay, well, one of the characters is a trans woman, and she is one of the main characters, and um, it's, uh, she is one in real life, the actress, as well as the character, mm -hmm. but they don't make a big deal out of it, and the actress said at one point saying she really appreciated that because she could, she could be, um, she could play this role and this be a part of who she is naturally without an issue, and this movie isn't about that, it's, and it's, and it's just, accepted and and it's mentioned a couple times but not part of the narrative it's just it's just a who she is right. and that's a refreshing thing to see with um uh sectors of pop sectors of our population that have not been well represented to see them represented without lots of finger pointing and spotlights and focus it's just who they are yeah. naturally yeah. Yeah. so that's what you see with 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 the, the craft as well as uh the representation of the witch in grace and frankie mm -hmm. okay yeah so yeah that's that's unfortunate then that uh that didn't make it in in the uh, but that's okay it's invariably somebody says to me you left this movie out i'm like <laughs> you know what wait for the 10th anniversary edition when i include <laughs> And yes. you, you, you could have um, uh, first edition hard copies of both. So there you go. There we go. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. You've got the plan. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's all about the marketing. You know, <laughs> all about the marketing. Okay. So that's, you know, I, before today, I, and I was trying, I'm like, I don't know if I'm going to be able to word this question properly. And, and we got it covered about like that really bad, kind of like realistic, but negative portrayal of witches in to save a baby so I'm glad we got that covered and you know good portrayals of like this is what a witch really could be so I'm I, yeah I'm glad we we got that covered that that you know there is representation there that people can actually go and say oh I need to check out these you know these good you know sort of representations and and whatnot because I think that's important mm -hmm. that not only that they exist, but we we talk about them because, you know, talking about, you know, the 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 scary witches, the bad witches, that's very sexy and it's very titillating and we love it. We love them. Mm -hmm. But to see, you know, positive, sort of realistic um, representation and, you know, to talk about them and, you know, for the listeners to be like, you need to check them out. I mean, mm -hmm. I think that's, that's really important. 
as well. For me, someone that practices a lot of ceremonial magic, there's a movie called A Dark Song, mm-hmm. which um, I, first of all, is just fantastic. I mean, just love it as a movie, period. Um, it's a woman that hires a magician to help her perform the Abramelin operation. And what they do has nothing to do with the Abramelin operation like the actual Abermelon operation. Mm-hmm. But again, if you were to film the Abermelon operation, uh, I mean, I don't want to watch someone for two hours drinking water and eating bread and, and <laughs> sitting quietly praying in their head. So, I mean, it's, it's an exaggeration of the ritual, but it's a really good sort of visual representation of, what ritual is like like you know for my for my non-occultist friends I'm like if you want to know what it's like what what it's like for me like what we do watch this movie it's not that much of an exaggeration I mean some of it you know like you the drinking the glass of blood to to purify you you know stuff like that like some of it's an exaggeration but you know the, the 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 ritual itself the process is really accurate really really accurate it just shows the intensity mm-hmm. the um the dedication and, and and whatnot so there's good stuff out there there really is I mean there's mm-hmm. shit uh, <laughs> I mean, and, and you can even do like bad witches badly where mm-hmm. it's not even they're not even good representations of bad witches yes. you know um I've seen some of those. We don't speak of those. <laughs> I mean, like I said, I'll talk. I'll talk about bad representation of of witches and magic and whatnot till the cows come home because it's sexy and it's fun, and and whatnot. But if you do bad representations of bad, a bad job of bad representations, I mean, like, yeah. is it really that hard? <laughs> To, to create a, a bad witch like really i mean i mean we've 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 had the bad witch narrative for 500 years yeah how could you have just done this so poorly it's forced bad storytelling is what that amounts it's to funny. i there were several sh- there were several movies that i i turned on um and i was watching and i went oh. after like five minutes i'm like um what am i watching and why am I watching this? And some I, I got through in hopes of maybe some redeeming quality, but most of them I'm like, yes, you know, there's there's some bottom barrel films that are just, and and most of that is just really bad storytelling. Right. And that happens, you know, you get that. And just, you know, witches, witches are very easy to throw into um, bad stories that are more sensational. There's a lot of sensationalism, you know, the porn industry loves a good witch film, you know, and you just get really, some really bad ones. And um, so it is what it is, but uh, we don't have to talk about that bad because that's, that's bad. That's bad, bad witches. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Did you cover uh, the Blair Witch movie at all? I I know like, oh, okay. Okay. Cause you know, there's no actual like physical representation of a witch in that movie but I think that was part of the brilliance as well because mm-hmm. and whenever I talk about the Blair Witch on the podcast I always have to qualify the conversation 
for the younger listeners, this was pre-social media days. So this, the marketing campaign for this movie was missing posters of like the three um, actors um, and fake news reports, um, like video news reports. And of course, everyone that saw these fake news reports weren't from the city that these fake news reports were from. So KKTV, I don't know if that's <laughs> And right? you, know, you can't confirm it on social media. So when we went to the theater in 1998, we thought this was actual found footage and these students were missing. And it was the scariest thing in part because you don't see anything. So, well, first of all, you have the marketing. So you're already freaked out because these kids have gone missing and you've seen the news reports. So it must be true because I saw it right. on the news. <laughs> And then you don't actually see anything. So I'm conjuring up in my head, my worst fears of what it could be. I'm in a tent in the woods lost. And it was so brilliant. So you don't actually see a witch or anything, but that movie was huge, huge, it, it, it was huge. hugely successful, um, influenced a lot of people. And so, yeah, so that was one question I had for you to, to see if you covered it. And, and I do. Why. Yeah. Um, because it changed, it changed um, just at the end of the girl movement, this sort of launched a new, um, the, the 2000s, it sort of launched and, and everything in the 2000s sort of changed. It was after the girl movement, the satanic panic and, and the Blair Witch Project really changed the face of, of how, we, how we read films, how we understand media in so many ways. I mean, it was just totally a landmark, um, it, it, not just for witch films, but it also launched um, a witch, a ghost witch um, phase of, of witch films it was so popular of course everybody wants on the bandwagon of this concept of the paranormal the paranormal became very important which films which films kind of went away we got a little bit in the early 2000s of residuals of the shows but now we're seeing a lot of ghost witches a lot okay. of dead witches and a lot of ghost witches and and everything was really geared and focused on teenagers and adolescents up to you know 18 20 as young as 14 so you saw it's 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 in i think i call the teen the chapter teen witchcraft, Wicca teens and something. I could go switch witches and teens or something is the name of the chapter because you see almost everything in there geared towards the teen market. And you see a lot of these, this whole phase of ghost films, mm -hmm. ghost witch films and The Conjurer. Um, the Conjuring comes later, which was it, uh, very, very um, popular. That's a decade later, but you have The Conjurer, you have um, Ghost Game, you have um, a lot of them are B. You also have a couple more Blair Witch uh, spinoffs. Um, uh, Blair Witch um, Book of Shadows, I believe right. they weren't as popular. So you have a lot of this sort of this concept of this this ghost, uh, this legend tripping. The, the this is this is what's going on. Um, so it it launched, and it also again this was before social media. So this was the beginning of the change. Yeah, the beginning of the internet change the beginning of the media changeover. And so I talk about that and how, how media was um, transforming at this point. And Blair Witch was right there um, as a spearhead as far as witch films. Um, it's brilliant. And I talk about what you're talking about is the witch is a fear and it's not, you know, it's not present. I talk about yeah. that. 
they're in in um the the third Blair Witch film uh Heather's younger brother goes mm-hmm. looking for her and they actually show the witch mm-hmm. um in the house and it's this misshapen monster and I would have appreciated that visual more if that because this wasn't going to live up to the 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 original Blair Witch mm-hmm. and that fear factor because we've well, first of all you know that whole missing persons marketing campaign was effective but we've all adapted our our minds to you know this this first person camera sort of horror thing and whatnot it's just it doesn't have the same effect mm-hmm. that Blair Witch did right um but. I would have appreciated that visual because it was creepy to look at if that mm-hmm. wasn't a witch, like that's a, a, a demon minion that she sent after them. I would have liked that, <laughs> but that was the witch. I'm like, you're never supposed to see the witch. And it's like, well, this, this isn't working for me. Well, uh, it, 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 they lost that, that concept and they lost that essential, the essential, um, the essence of that original film is the yeah. witch is in our head. Um, the fear is in our head and all yeah. of that stuff. And, but if you think about it, that movie was made in 2016, I believe you're talking about a whole, and it was made in the middle of the witch, you know, now witches are popular again. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's point was different. It was made in a different context and representation of witchcraft. And here now you're looking at looking back at stories and seeing you know, stories we once told, did we, did we tell them wrong? Did we understand them wrong? So now here's a story that's going back to look at the Blair Witch film and the, and now it's giving us the actual witch. I thought it was, I thought it was, um, you know, it was okay for a horror film. It didn't bother me so much. I think it had, it did do better than to me, in my mind, it did better than the sequels that were made uh, right after the book. Oh yeah. Yeah. yeah, But, but um, yeah, it was never going to be that first one. There's no way anyone could replicate what they did. No way. Point yeah. in time. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, I, 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 God, that movie is great. I even watch it. Now. <laughs> you don't have the same fear factor that I did, Mm-mm. you know, a um, hundred years ago in in the theater watching it for the first time. But it's still just so damn good. It good. really is. It really is. It but is. I think like my favorite witch is the ghost witch, because. Mm-hmm. Um, because there's always like like a folklore behind mm-hmm. it and yes. like either folklore going back hundreds of years or even going back 50 years it just the folklore the yes, the legend that really the mystery is, of it yeah that, yeah that's absolutely. really um that yeah that just appeals to me and I, so yeah you throw in all of that 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 folklore with the Blair Witch and it's just it's, mm-hmm. it's an absolute masterpiece do you have a favorite witch like not necessarily a character, but like a favorite type of witch representation. Um, I don't have a favorite type of witch. Um, I I I don't think so because I I just love them all in different mm-hmm. ways. Um, my favorite witch I always say is the Wicked Witch of the West. I have mm-hmm. a, a deep love of the Wizard of Oz. So and she really and I talk about the beginning of the book and then um. Why does I she do, have green skin? Why does she have green skin? Um, okay, so um, I'm going to tell you this story, and then I'm going to have to actually say goodbye to our podcast. Perfect. Um, hey, because that, that, if, that's a great way to end. 
I know, right? I, I'm sorry. I could talk to you for hours. I'm having so much fun. Um, but I have kids that are texting me right now because <laughs> they have an appointment. But I would love to end on this because this is perfect. Yeah. Um, so basic, I tell you this in the book, so it's a little a little nugget that you can read more about. But the um, so here's here's the um story. So basically in Technicolor was a new process at the time. Um and so they were doing testing, um, doing test filming of Margaret Hamilton in her costume. And her costume is all black, as you know. And so when they did those tests in, with the film and they got the dailies back and they saw that it looked like her face was floating. It's something to do with Technicolor made the black costume, the solid black costume. And then the skin tone, her skin tone looked like there was a line here. Um, it was some kind of the transition of the color. So it looked like her face was floating above her costume. Okay. And so the only way to fix this problem at the time, because we didn't have CGI and computers and stuff, the only way to fix it was to either change the color of the dress or change the color of the skin. So they changed the color of her skin. You would think it'd be easier to change the dress, but the black dress and the black hat were iconic at that time. Animation had been doing uh, witches that look like that for a decade. Mm -hmm. So they changed the color of her skin and my, and there's, I have yet to find the reason they chose green. I, my theory is one green creates a, a horrific um, element of sickness and death. It also is the color of Frankenstein. And at that time, the uh, Universal Studios had a, lots of popular monster movies. So mm -hmm. it would have equated her to audiences then with death, with zombie kind of dead, dead body, with sickness, and of course, with the monster. So I believe that's the reason they chose green. And I think that's a valid reason, even though that's speculation, but that's why. And there's no green skin on witches prior to that movie. So every right. green skin which you see now is because of a technical problem with film in 1937, <laughs> 1938, when they were filming it. So it's uh, 1938, sorry, it was released in 1939. So, so yes, that is the reason that witches have green skin. That's super fascinating. Awesome. Okay, so wonderful. Thank you so much for that. And thank you for coming on the podcast. Before you leave, let the listeners, and I'm going to put these in the show notes so the listeners can, you know, easily click on them, but let the uh, listeners know where they can find you on social media and mm -hmm. any of your links, anything that you uh, want to share with them. Absolutely. Um, so here's my book. First of all, you can see um, the wonderful cover with the cats black cat um and uh so my social media is uh, mira selena um zero one that's twitter and heather green writes on instagram and um i have a website it's heathergreen.net um you can find me there and all of my socials are listed on that as well um and i am on facebook too and i believe it's heather green writes and for some reason i can't i can't keep up with all the social media <laughs> socials it's, it's, <laughs> it's a full-time job yeah it really is, it really is. <laughs> but it's easy to find me go to the facebook page you can see or you go to my website you can find them all there you can find Excellent. the articles i write too because i'm a journalist and i write about paganism and witchcraft a lot so you can find that there as well as um anything else and uh please reach out i hope your listeners enjoy this and i uh, please reach out um i love talking about movies and witches and tv and all that stuff so uh for the listeners uh you're gonna go buy heather's book you're gonna read it and then whatever television shows and movies she missed you're gonna let her know <laughs> for her 10th anniversary edition expanded uh edition so yes uh, yes absolutely uh, please and you know what i will actually if your listeners send me a movie i did not include and it's an american movie not 
uh, it cannot be, you know, don't tell me about right. European films because yeah. that's what I studied. If yeah. it's an American movie, even if it's new and um, tell me about it, I'll watch it and I'll write an article on it and put it in context or we can talk about it. I, absolutely, let's do it. That's fantastic. I love yeah. it. That's wonderful. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, Heather, again, thank you so, so much for being on the podcast. This was so fantastic. Uh, I thank really, you for having me. Yeah, thank I really you. liked uh, talking about this. I, like you, I could have just kept going for definitely for hours. Uh, <laughs> but I, I appreciate the the time that you did uh, give me and the listeners. And I know everyone's going to love this episode. So thank you so much. And Yay. for all the listeners, um, Heather's links, like I said, they're in the show notes. My links are there as well. So click, 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 follow, follow, follow. And um, I'll uh, see you guys next week. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Lux Files. You'll find all the guest links in the show notes, as well as the link www.leilokanzawin.com slash links. That link will get you to my page of links, where you can then go to my Leilokanzawin website, the Lux Files page, and my Leilokanzawin YouTube channel that has all the Lux Files videos. It also has all my social media links there, so you can follow me and the Lux Files. And don't forget to subscribe to the Lux Files wherever you get your podcasts. And lastly, if you enjoyed this episode, please consider leaving me a review. Until next time.